You're listening to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Support for this project is provided by listeners like you. Visit my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. In today's episode, we continue the journey of Ollie Monroe to find out more about the woman and her work. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Today, we're going to continue the story of Ollie Monroe, the successful photographer and so much more that we meant last time. As we learned in the last episode, Ollie's career took her to multiple states and saw her running multiple photographic studios as well as multiple theaters. We covered really only the bare bones of her career in the last episode, but the story of Mrs. Ollie Monroe is really much, much more than just that bare bones narrative of her literal journey and the different studios that she ran. For example, I didn't have a chance to mention that while she was in Kansas, in that first phase period, Ali Monroe is quite prominent among the Kansas photographers and really active in the Kansas Photographers Association. In 1893, she's even elected to be the first vice president of the statewide organization. Another woman that I've talked about on the podcast, Mrs. Rosa Vreeland, was actually the second vice president that year. I haven't mentioned anything about Mrs. Monroe and her strategy about leveraging advertising, but she does that really well. Now, we see that with other early women artists and photographers from this period too, of course, but there are some remarkable aspects about Ollie's ads and the services that she lists that she provides. For one thing, in addition to the regular kind of portraits, she seems to become really enamored of specialty photo objects that become possible to make, whether it's like photo jewelry, like the photo buttons with a photo of her son Wiley that she distributes as party favors at a party for Wiley, or fancy photo collages that she can make from photos of your new family, in addition to offering framed and enlarged prints and stuff like that. Of course, like all the other photographers, she offers special deals at different times, but she has some very creative promotional techniques. For example, in 1891, when she's in Mound Valley, Kansas, she offers a free portrait to any woman who can show proof that that woman voted in the city's elections. Now, Kansas, it should be noted, did allow women to vote in local elections long before the U.S. federal voting rights for women were granted in 1920. And clearly, Ali Monroe feels very passionately about getting women the right to vote. Um, she promotes that through that promotion, as I said, in 1891. But then also in 1893, she's a founding member and the first president of the Equal Suffrage Society in Mound Valley. It was kind of fun to realize that the only way of tracking her in the 1920s turned out to be in the voter registration records in California because she was so passionate about suffrage, clearly all through her life. 
In her later career, her ads for her studio become much more complex. Um, I'll include a scan of an elaborate Christmas time ad for that star studio in Clay Center, Kansas, that's under the management of Mrs. O.H. Monroe and Son. That son would be Son Charles, uh, who was using C.H. Monroe as his name at that point. Now, this ad not only has the usual come get your pictures taken, but it also includes a collage of photos, examples of the kind of high-grade photos, as it says in the ad, that you can get at the Monroe Studio. The Monroe Studio in Clay Center, Kansas, is only open three days a week. And, of course, this is at a time when they're running multiple studios, so I guess that's how they manage running so many different branches. They went to different branches at different days. It reminds you in the ad that there's nothing is more heartily welcomed on Christmas morning than a picture of your absent friend or maybe of your absent friend kids because most of the sample pictures are of kids, which are sometimes with a parent or sometimes with a dog, that kind of thing. Of course, for me, the most memorable ad by Mrs. Ollie Monroe during her career is actually for her theater in Illyria. Now, remember, she was running this vaudeville house and movie theater. And to attract patrons to that theater, which, of course, the goal was to sell as many tickets as possible, um, she devises special attractions to get people in the door. And in 1907, patrons are advised in an ad in the paper that the ones who are attending the show on Wednesday, November 20th that year will be automatically entered into the drawing for the live baby to be given away that evening. Yes, the headline in the ad actually says, Baby to be given away. Now, a couple of years ago, I mentioned on the podcast how Mrs. Clara Obertown had a very eye-catching ad that at first glance implied that a good fat baby was going to be given away at her studio. But when you read that ad completely, you realized that it was just a trick of the way it was typeset and that actually the ad meant that photos of your good fat baby were being given away practically for free because the prices at Mrs. Clara Obertown's studio were so low. But in Elyria, Ohio in 1907, for Mrs. Ollie Monroe, the gimmick of the baby giveaway at her theater was really supposed to be that she was giving away an actual live baby. Needless to say, this causes quite the stir in town. I mean, half the people believe it, half the people think it's some sort of trick. Articles are written in the paper, for and against. Mrs. Moreau, at one point, is quoted as saying that the baby is being donated by an orphanage in Cleveland, so really it's not that bad a thing. A minister preaches regularly about it every Sunday for the weeks leading up to the big event. And then the big night comes, and the theater is packed for the big giveaway. And the holder of the winning ticket comes on stage to receive his prize, which is presented to him, and which turns out to be a baby pig dressed in baby clothes. So thankfully, this was, in the end, an elaborate hoax. The winner took home his adopted baby pig, and by Christmas, unfortunately, the poor pig had been sold to a butcher. Well, I don't need to tell you what happened after that, but in some sense, it had a happy ending because there was no real live baby involved. But certainly, she sold the tickets and made money, and in terms of generating publicity and getting the crowds to come to the theater, Mrs. Ollie Monroe was very successful. 
She does, however, run afoul with the mayor of Illyria on several occasions, um, probably because he wasn't that happy with all this kind of publicity that he, she was generating for the town. But um, he at one point has her arrested for, quote, running a place of entertainment on a Sunday, which is, of course, against the law in Illyria in 1907. Now, she gets out of that charge when the court agrees with her argument that what she was showing were passion play movies, and passion play movies are religious, she argued, and therefore should be allowed. So that was part of Mrs. Monroe's career as running the Vaudeville Theater in Illyria. As I said, really successful for her time, um, but really creative with her ads and sort of gimmicks to get people in the door. Now, at some point, though, the theater management is turned over to Ollie's oldest son, Wiley, who, as I said, was 21 and married at that point. Unfortunately, the theater doesn't do as well under his management and ultimately files for bankruptcy. But some of those problems may have been because Wiley becomes very ill in late 1908. He comes down uh, with tuberculosis. The family then heads west in early 1909, ultimately landing in Seattle. They're trying to find a cure for Wiley and hoping that going west will help. Along the way, they pass through Mound Valley. And I haven't really mentioned this, but um, when Ollie and the kids moved to Illyria, they actually did so without J.R. Monroe, Ollie's husband. He'd stayed in Kansas, and she'd filed for divorce in 1900. In early 1909, J.R., who had been sort of wandering around Kansas, uh, having different positions as druggists and things. Well, anyway, in 1909, he's actually back in Mound Valley, but he is actually dying from tuberculosis. Um, he passes away in early March of 1909. And sadly, despite the family's quest for a treatment for Wiley, the oldest son, he actually passes away in November of 1909 at the age of only 23. Ultimately, and incredibly sadly, uh, tuberculosis kills all three of Wiley's sons, although the younger two sons outlive her and die in the 1930s. It's after Wiley's death that Ollie, along with her other sons, wind up back in that phase two of her career in Kansas, and then, of course, later in Oklahoma and California. Overall, Ollie's journey spans thousands of miles uh, with a career that spans across five states. While there are other stories that emerge from hundreds of newspaper clips that we have for Ollie and her family, I want to end this episode by talking about some special photography projects that Ollie Monroe took on at the start of the 20th century in Elyria, Ohio. At that time, she's hired to help uh, put together a, quote, souvenir book on Elyria, which is called Picturesque Elyria, Her Enterprising Citizens and Their Industries. It comes out in 1903, and it includes photos of prominent citizens and businesses. There's even a page on the prominent businesswomen in town, among them Mrs. Monroe, um, and I'll include that page um, on the episode notes for today. That whole book is actually freely available from the Internet Archive, and I'll put a link to that whole book as well. It's really interesting to see how it's put together and the kinds of articles and information it has about the prominent citizens and the town and the history. And there's a special collage on the final page of the book that includes photos of children all taken, of course, by Mrs. Monroe in her studio. As I'd mentioned, collages were something of a specialty for Mrs. Monroe over the years. She, we saw that in her ads. And later, apparently because of the success of that 1903 book, she is actually contracted to put together a book on the entire county called Lorraine County, the county that Elyria, Ohio is in. Now that book is called Lorraine County, Ohio, 
picturesque and industrial features. That comes out in 1906, and unlike the Illyria book, Mrs. Moreau is the sole author. Unlike the Illyria book, this one, the digital copy, is behind a paywall. It has been digitized by the Ohio Genealogy Society. And if you want to try to check it out, you can go and subscribe to the Ohio Genealogy Society. And, you know, I really highly recommend, if you can look at a copy of this whole book, to check it out because it really is something special. It contains the expected, you know, photos of prominent citizens um, and their stately homes. And it has really interesting pictures of different businesses and the insides of the businesses. It's really like we're there in 1906 and we could step into the stores being greeted by the businessmen at the shoe parlor, at the little restaurant run by Mrs. Donald, I think. Um, and of course, we can step into Mrs. Moreau's studio because there are pictures of her reception rooms. There are also pictures of her sons in this book as well. Now, her sons were old enough that they were already contributing to the business. So son Wiley did all the landscape photos that are in this 1906 book on Lorraine County. Son Charles did all the special sketches. So, for example, in some of these collages, there's a collage of um, several babies being delivered by storks and the storks are sketches and the baby pictures are um, taken by Mrs. Monroe. Son Harry, he was the youngest. Well, he was a little too young, yes, to work in the studio, but there is a picture of him with his classmates um, on one of the pages as well. So as I said, the title of this book, com the complete title of this book is Lorraine County, Ohio, Her Beautiful Children, Progressive People and Marvelous Development. Part of the reason for this book apparently was to try to promote um, people to move to Lorraine County uh, in a period where people were searching for new frontiers. They were promoting Lorraine County as one of the progressive places and expanding and prosperous places. And you really get that sense from this book. They even have pictures of like landscapes, but saying that this is where that unpaved road is going to eventually be developed with businesses and things like that. Really quite fascinating. Now, after I put this podcast together, I happened to notice that the Lorraine County Historical Society actually has a nice feature on their Facebook page, um, which they call hashtag Family Research Friday. And on November 27th, they actually talk about Mrs. O.H. Monroe's 1906 book on Lorraine County. I'll include a link uh, if you can get there. Uh, you probably need a Facebook um, account, but I'll include a link to that. I think it was great to see uh, them talking about this book. And I'd be excited to see if anyone has done any before and after kind of shots of some of these places that were supposed to be developed later on to see if they actually have been. That would be quite fun. As I said, Mrs. Monroe is the author as well as a photographer for this 1906 book. In her uh, foreword to the book, she starts by saying, this is a progressive age. We are a progressive and restless people and continually on the move. No place so good, but that some place might be better. And I think that, for me, really sums up something about the restlessness that we see throughout Mrs. Ollie Monroe's career. She is very progressive. She is doing photography, constantly changing with the times, upgrading her technology, upgrading her techniques, upgrading her offerings to the newest and latest things like the photo jewelry, but also restless in some sense, moving from place to place, always looking for more, right? Opening more branches, trying new businesses like the theater. Really someone that exemplifies a strong, talented, extremely successful 
early artisan woman photographer and early photographic entrepreneur. For today's episode, look to the episode notes for some of the clippings that I talked about, plus, of course, links to how to find Ollie Monroe's 1903 book on Illyria, which is available for free on the Internet Archive, and then her 1906 book on Lorraine County, which is available behind the paywall over at Ohio Genealogy Society. Also include a link to that Lorraine County Historical Society's write-up about Mrs. O.H. Monroe's Lorraine County book. Now, as usual, you can find all of these links and photos over on the website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. And if you have a question or want to just drop me a line, write to me at podcast at p3photographers.net. And remember, you can always connect with me on Facebook at facebook.com slash p3photographers. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed taking this long journey with Ali Monroe, because she certainly had a very long career. As always, thanks for stopping by the podcast. Until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols.